me pray as we get into the Word. Jesus, we just um, invite your presence. We invite your Holy Spirit to guide us in the truth. Wield the sword of your Word upon our hearts. In the name of Jesus, open my ears that I may hear what you want to say. We submit to your Spirit. We resist the devil. In the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was at Chain of Lakes camping with Olivia, I saw a guy that had a sword stuck in the ground next to his fire camping by himself. And, uh, you know, it was me and Olivia, and we're pushing Adley, and Tears is on her tricycle. And uh, we just popped by and started chatting with him. He had a license plate from another state, and so we started chatting. He was driving the United States. Uh, driving the United States. Apparently, because of his job, he can work an hour a day and pull it off. He said, it's surprising what you can do when you really crunch it down. And, uh, and so he was able to continue working while traveling, working for a pharmaceutical company in their legal department, which is interesting. He told me he'd had a rough trip so far, and, but wouldn't tell me anything in front, in front of Olivia, but he sounded like he wanted to mention it, and so I kind of waited until Olivia kept going and we kept chatting, and he proceeded to tell me a story of, uh, of him um, committing a sexual sin. Um, and uh, fornication. So I thought, okay, you know, maybe it's because I received, uh, maybe, I don't know, I, I didn't tell him what I did or anything like that. So I find that people are more open, but man, was he open. Um, and uh, kind of wanted to laugh about it. Afterwards, there was a the situation that came up as a result that was complicated and kind of wanted to laugh, but for me, it's so sad. And so the next, you know, we continued talking and I didn't really, I'm always kind of praying and asking the Lord, do you want me to say, do you want me to not? And uh, I felt like I needed to give him a track, uh, one of our World Missionary Press tracks, How to Know God. Um, and so I waited till the next morning and as he's packing up to get ready to go, I said, hey, I follow Jesus um, and here's, here's just a track about how to know God, something to think about while you're on your trip. And he said, oh, thank you, I'm actually Catholic. Um, and, uh, and I said, oh, how is that? <laughs> and he said, uh, well, it's, it's all about penance. It's all about penance. And uh, wished him well on his journey, and he left. Prayed for him. We'll see where the Lord's at with him or the Lord's dealing with him. What is penance? I'm talk about penance. As we were studying, I felt the Lord wanted, I feel as if we need to talk about a specific part of Jesus' death today. I want to ask, um, and some of you who, who've been to the Catholic Church may know, what is penance? What's penance? Is, is it making amends for a sin that you've committed? Making amends? Like, when you do penance, like, you, you have to do something in order to make up for what you... Okay. Whatever sin you committed. You have to do something to make up for whatever sin you committed. Yeah. That's not a bad definition. So kind of like work labor. Work labor, like you pay back your... Um, yeah, you could, you could say like a, a criminal in prison doing work labor. He's doing penance. I've got a definition from the dictionary. A means of repairing a sin committed. 
obtaining pardon for it, consisting partly in the performance of expiatory rites. So, yeah, big words. We got a couple big words today, Jack, so hang on. Expiatory rites means you've got to do something that will atone for your sin. That's what expiatory rites mean. Partly involuntary submission to a punishment corresponding to the transgression imposed by a confessor or other ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical authority. So who in the Catholic Church, who, who tells you what penance to do? The priest. Yeah, to make atonement or amends for your sin. My question today. As this gentleman here, he, he said, well, it's all about penance. I couldn't help but wonder, did he really understand what it was about? That he could tell me of the sin that he had committed, almost proudly so, laughing so, without flinching. And then talk about penance as if he was covered for what he had done. And I don't want to stereotype everybody in the Catholic Church, but I do want to touch on this doctrine thing. When you sin, you feel guilt or the weight of your sin. What do you do? If you ever felt such weight that you felt like punishing yourself or maybe you needed to restrict yourself or like you needed to pay something for it. Have you ever felt that way? It's this frustrating feeling. I remember this feeling as if you had to do something. And yet the the weight and the guilt doesn't leave. Is it ever enough? Do you, can you ever feel better? Does confessing it to a man in a closet necessarily help? Does God accept acts of penance? Who's got Psalm 49, 7 through 9? Somebody got that? Psalm 49. Psalm 49. 49. Andrew, you can just listen because I think it passed out slips. Jeremiah, you got Psalm 49? 7 through 9. Read loud. None of them can by any means redeem his brother. Give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceases forever. That he should live, still live forever and not see corruption. Okay. It says that the redemption of a man's life is costly. You can't redeem your brother. It's too costly. And then verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. But God will redeem my soul. So here he says, one man can't redeem the life of another. It's too costly. But then he says at the end, but God will redeem my soul. And that, I think, suggests something. Our Lord Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a man. Um, who's got Hebrews 9, 22, 10 through 4? Or 22, 9, 22. All right. Um, Steve, go ahead and read 9, 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, chapter 10, verse 4. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's, the, it's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. So my question, does God accept acts of penance? Can they atone for your sin? Can they pay for it? No. What about partially? Maybe you need to do something on top 
of what's already been done. Maybe you need to add to the cross and what Jesus has done. There is that temptation as well. This morning, I want to take a look at John chapter 19 to take a look at the crucified king. And the basic thing I want to get across is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. This doctrine is called substitutionary atonement. Can you say that? Substitutionary atonement. I don't I told you Jack we have big words today. Substitutionary atonement. The idea of atonement is the idea of paying for sins or making an appeasement to God for your sins. What we believe is that Jesus is our substitutionary atonement. He substitutes for you and me to pay for our sins. Okay? If you have a teacher who's sick and he can't come in that work to work that day, what does he do? Calls in, he gets a substitute. So the substitute comes in and does his work for him on his behalf, right? Now, does that mean that the teacher's got to come into work that day? No, he's got a substitute. Same thing with Christ. You don't pay for your sins. Christ substitutes for you and pays your sins at the cross. So let me show you a couple places and then we'll get into, um, actually, we'll, we'll hit it as we go through John 19. So Jesus is condemned, John 18. He is uh, tried in a trial. He's questioned. He's denied by his own followers. He's brought before Pilate and questioned further. And then at the end, um, Jesus is uh, exchanged with a prisoner in verse 39 of chapter 18. Pilate says to the crowd, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So here you actually see just a hint of a, of a picture of substitution. Right? The innocent king who has done nothing wrong is substituted with the robber who deserves death. The robber goes free, but the innocent king has to die. Did you catch that? And you know what Barabbas means? His name? Bar Abba, son of the father. Son of the Father. God's children are set free because of the death of the Son of God. Side note. Anyway, so let's get into chapter 19, verse 1 through 16. Uh, I'm just going to read, and then I want to focus on verses 17 through 22 in the following. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, Behold, the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Jesus said to them, or no, excuse me, Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son 
of God. Let's pause for just a moment. Notice Jesus is flogged. Okay. Now, if you remember the prophecy, 700 years before Jesus came, right? He was pierced for our transgressions in Isaiah. It says that by his stripes, we are healed in the King James. Stripes. Talked about flogging. That he would be flogged. And Jesus was flogged. And then they arrayed him in a robe um, as a mockery. Pilate really dresses Jesus up as a king. And I think it's because Pilate wants to get under the skin of the Jews. He knew that the religious leaders gave Jesus up to be crucified out of envy. And so Pilate got under the skin and calls them their king. But they, don't, they didn't say that. They want to put him to death. Um, but Pilate's getting under their skin. And Pilate did some things back then that enraged the Jews. Uh, he mingled sacrifices with the blood of, of some of the Jews. And uh, I think it started an uprising. Uh, he'd done a number of things that enraged the Jews. He was, he was a rough man. A rough man. And so he presents Jesus as a king. And the irony, the irony of it is that he is a king. The irony is that he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Yet Pilate does it in mockery. Okay. Now when they cry out to crucify him, I want you to notice verse 7. The Jews answered, we have a law. According to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Jesus makes himself the son of God, in a sense, he is saying he is equal with God. And I'll show you. Who's got John 5, verse 18? Somebody have that? John 5, 18. Sydney, read 5, 18. Real loud. So this is John explaining when Jesus calls God his father, he makes himself equal with God. And to the Jew, they say, well, that's blasphemy. He deserves to die. And yet they point out it's against the law for them to kill him. So that's why they hand him over to Pilate. And so we continue down. Jesus is condemned. Um, He's condemned at the judgment seat, the Bema in verse 13 there. And so they deliver him up, verse 16, over to be crucified. Now uh, we're going to continue in verse 17. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side, Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written I have written. Again, Pilate's being a stinker here. Getting under their skin. But the irony is that Jesus is the king of the Jews. The irony, he was pierced. Who's got Isaiah 53? 
three through five. Did I pass that out? Isaiah 53 through five. Isaiah 53 is a passage you need to know because it affirms everything we believe predicted 700 years before its actual events. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted for the transgressions of my people. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Did you catch that? He was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. That's a very strong passage on the idea of Jesus being our substitute. That he is standing in our place. He was, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. It shows us that Jesus, from, that God had planned for Jesus to receive our punishment. Now I'm going to teach you another big word. What was the first word that we learned? Substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. That Jesus pays for our sins as our substitute. There's another word. Penal substitution. Penal means punishment. Jesus is bearing the punishment that you and I deserve. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Verse 23, it says, When the soldiers had written Jesus, or when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. To see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures which says they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Anybody know what chapter of the Bible that's written in? They, they divided my garments and for my clothing they cast lots. Isaiah and Psalms. Um, Psalms. Psalms chapter 22. Anybody know how long before Jesus came that was written? Thousand years. Thousand years. Um, Thousand years before Jesus was written. Or before uh, Jesus had come. So they basically just like put money on it? They put money on his garments. And let me read just part of the passage. It says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard. My tongue sticks to the jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. By the way, crucifixion wasn't invented a thousand years before Jesus was here. It wasn't even invented yet. And we have that scripture that they have pierced my hands and my feet. So part of what we believe is that Jesus died for our sins. But maybe what you don't hear so much when people are sharing the gospel 
He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It's, the gospel is the truth of that Jesus has paid for your sins and mine as a substitute for us. But there's another part. It's in accordance with what God had been saying for thousands of years. God had foretold the coming of his son. And when you read the book of Acts, you see they not only share the good news, but they share this was to fulfill what God had said in the Old Testament. It's one of the most powerful apologetics or defenses of the Christian faith is knowing prophecy. Peter said, we are eyewitnesses of his glory. But he said, you would do well to pay attention to the prophetic word fulfilled. He said, you would do well to pay attention to the prophetic word. Um, I think that there's a blessing for us as we study the Old Testament and see how it all speaks of Jesus. I was speaking with a man uh, just yesterday at the farmer's market. He's an atheist, and he's been... The people that he knew, the resources that he had, I would admit, he knew who Bart Ehrman was. Um, he knew who Kent Hovind was, um, which is a creationist that I grew up listening to. He knew who William Lane Craig was. He knew, um, he knew who Daniel Wallace was. He knew all of these apologists because he'd been studying the topic for, how old am I, 28? He'd been studying the topic for like 23 years. He said, I've been studying this longer than you've been alive. And so you can imagine I'm praying, Lord, help me. Because I talk with him because he had studied so many topics on evolution and creation. We talked philosophy. We talked about Bible history. He told me the Old Testament was just a bunch of myths, you know. And so I'm like, okay, how do we approach this here? So we had a wonderful two and a half hour conversation. In fact, um, Andrew was a part of it, too, posing good questions, actually. Um, one topic that he didn't know a lot about was prophecy, Old Testament prophecy. But prophecy is like the nail in the coffin, really. When you really look at it and you really study prophecy, it attests the difference of the Bible is in our lives. There's no other book in history that compares with the Bible, especially in regards to prophecy. Isaiah says that the Lord knows the beginning from the end, or the end from the beginning, and declares things from ancient times not yet known. And it's a proof of who he is. I believe, and, and guess how, what percentage of the Bible is prophecy? Somebody guess. 60. That's, yeah, 60, that's a lot. 25%. 25% of the Bible is prophecy. There's no book that parallels the Bible in its prophecy. And I believe that it's part of the Lord's revelation to bless us, to affirm us, so that you may always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Learn Old Testament prophecy. As you read about Jesus' life, as you read about his death and resurrection, look up those passages in the Old Testament. And Peter said, the, how does he say it? The morning star will rise in your hearts. And I think he's talking about your faith being built up that you experience Christ in a deeper way. As you realize that this was God's plan from the beginning. He determined that Jesus was going to be slain. Revelation says from the foundation of the world. This was his plan to substitute 
for our sins in Jesus' death and his resurrection. You can pray for him. We'll see more of him. His name is David. Um, Let's continue in John 19, verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Jesus, knowing that most of it was finished. You gotta do penance periodically. No. Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Who's got Psalm 69, 21? All right, go ahead and read that, John, nice and loud. He gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, he gave me sour wine. So Jesus, to fulfill the scriptures, John, you see, you see a pattern in how John is telling the story. He is periodically pausing to show how what is happening to Christ is fulfilling scripture. This was no accident. This was all on purpose. Jesus said, it is finished. What is he speaking of? He's speaking of the work of atonement. The work of paying for sins to appease God. You see, God is holy and just, and he has to repay sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And because of God's wrath, he will punish sin. He has to punish sin. The Jews knew that when you sinned, something had to die. Something had to die. You sinned, you had to take little lamb chops to the temple and say goodbye, because lamb's done. Because of your sin. They knew the idea of substitutionary atonement. The priests would lay their hands on the animal and confess the sins and the sins of the people. And then they would slaughter the animal. This picture of substituting for their sins. They knew something had to die for our sins. But Hebrews says the blood of goats and rams doesn't make atonement for sin. So it was a picture and a foreshadowing. To prepare us for the work of Jesus. So when Jesus is on the cross, he cries out, it is finished. I have done your will. What you sent me to do. Jesus said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the one that redeems our life from the pit. By his own blood. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Because he is redeemed or bought back for us, a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Uh, Isaiah 53, 10 through 11. Who had Isaiah? Maybe I didn't even pass that one out. Isaiah 53, 10 through 11. 
Let me read that. So we've read <laughs> If there's one scripture you need, then go look at in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 is it. But let me read what it says. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. So the Lord, it was his will to crush his son. And the Lord was satisfied when he saw the anguish of his son. And then it says that by that knowledge, by the knowledge of his son, shall the many to be made accounted righteous. What does that mean to be accounted righteous? Right standing with God. Yeah, right standing with God. It means that because Jesus substituted in for your sins, you are considered right with God. Your sins are paid for. They are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. You bear them no more. Beloved, let me ask you a question. What could you ever add to the work of the cross? When Jesus said, it is finished, and you sin, what could you ever do to add to his work? The redemption of your life is costly. Well, a few Hail Marys cover it. We'll go and serving at the soup kitchen, cover your sins. We'll fasting and praying for days and weeks. Beloved, when you choose to add something to the cross, you're rejecting the cross. In In the New Testament, the Jews were tempted to go back to keeping Old Testament ceremonial laws like circumcision. Paul said this. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no value to you. You have fallen away from grace. You have cut yourself off from Christ. You cannot add to the work of the cross. The only thing there's left for you to do is to receive it. Is to receive it by faith. Who's got Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Anybody have that? Man, I missed a lot. I have so many scriptures today. For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. Now God offers you a gift. Your sins paid for by the blood of his son. Will you just simply receive it? That's what he's looking for. To all who receive him and believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And you are counted righteous from that day forward. We'll finish the passage here. Verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they may be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him 
whom they have pierced. Anybody know the reference? Not, not one of his bones will be broken, but that's referring to in the Old Testament? The Passover lamb. See, the custom, if you remember the story of the Exodus, when Moses has his people in Egypt, there's one more plague that's going to come, and it's going to kill all the firstborn. So Moses tells them to take a lamb, a year old. I think. I could be wrong about the year old. Take a lamb. They were not instructed to break its bones at all, but they were to kill them at twilight. And they were to take the blood, wipe it on their doorposts. And when the Lord saw the blood of the lamb, he would pass over. It said multiple times they're not allowed to break the bones of the lamb. Psalm 69, I believe, also says that the Lord keeps the righteous and none of his bones shall be broken. Fulfilled in Christ. When, when it was customary, if you had to take a thief down from a cross early, you broke his legs so that he could no longer push himself up to breathe. And not being able to push himself up to breathe, he would slowly suffocate, making a quick death. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. Drank the cup of the wrath of God for mankind. So once again, fulfilling the scriptures, they took a spear through his side. And John reported he saw blood and water come out. Which, by the way, is medical reality. That's a medical... I wonder how they could even have proven something like that in those days. The water and the blood coming out. Um, I can't even explain to you the term, but there is a term of a mental condition of, of a fluid that surrounds your heart when you're into that stage of crucifixion and pierced it. He said blood and water came out. Again, not a fabricated story. Not a fabricated story. And he quoted the scripture in Zechariah that says they will, the Jews will look on him whom they have pierced. So many of the Old Testament scriptures speak about Jesus. To prepare us for his coming. To comfort us and to strengthen us. And finally they take Jesus' body down. They put him in a tomb. Also fulfilling the scriptures. Isaiah 53 says that he will be numbered among the transgressors. Because he was crucified between criminals. And that he would be buried with a rich man in his death. Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. New, brand new tomb, by the way. Shiny, ready to go. The basic truth is that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. In the John and other places it says that it was better for one man to die for the nation. And it was Caiaphas, the high priest, explaining that they needed to put him to death. Better him die than the whole nation. But John points out he saw another reality of what was going on. That he prophesied that year, being the high priest, that Jesus would die for the sins of the nation. And not only for the sins of the nation, but to gather the children of God that are scattered abroad. The word for there is the Greek word huper, which means on behalf of or in the place of. Jesus dying in the place of. Jesus is our substitute. This is what we believe. Why am I telling you this? There are churches that do not teach. There are, there are movements out there that do not teach substitutionary atonement. That Jesus dies in our place. You talk to the Mormons, they'll tell you that Jesus died as an example. And while it is an example, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and 
laid his life down. It is an example for us, but it's more than that. It's a payment for you and for me. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. You remember how? You remember the story? Aslan goes. Where does he? Where? Who? Who is he pay, making payment of his life to in the story? To God. To the witch. Another theory of the atonement. Another theory that we are being ransomed from Satan, but the Bible doesn't teach that. We're being ransomed from the wrath of God. We're being made atonement, appeasing the wrath of God, not making a ransom from Satan. I, I believe that we need to hang on to this truth, that Christ died for our sins in our place. And as you come to understand and believe that, when you fall, when you stumble, when you fall short, you won't need to add to his work, but you remember his work. Jesus, thank you that it's finished. Thank you that you've sanctified me by the offering of your body once for all. So let me pray. Jesus, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I am so glad you've provided so much witness to who your son is in the Old and New Testament. Father, we thank you that you, that Jesus, who is the Son of God, equal with the Father, made himself man, was, became a man, and dwelt among us, and died in my place. Lord, we believe it. We receive it, and we rejoice in his death today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, beloved. We're dismissed for today. Remember business meeting on Tuesday.